ESPN Daily is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Patrick McEnroe, you are here to talk to us about the championships, about Wimbledon. And no one in the world is better qualified to do so. You've been going basically every year for the last four plus decades. That's about right. You're not even yeah. that old. <laughs> you, and I, I know you love Wimbledon. What's special about it for you? I think it's a perfect balance, Jeremy, of the tradition of the game, the history of the game, yet still always being forward looking. I love to be there early, the weekend before, walk into center court, get the feel for the place, see that court, pristine, perfectly green. And I love to get there early every day, watch them put the lines down on the court, you know, measure the balls, the bounce of the ball. That's what makes Wimbledon unique and, and special is that attention to detail and the reverence they have for the game itself and also for the history of the game. You know, and I think for people who haven't been there, and I've been lucky enough to cover Wimbledon a few times, what's also special is the way it, it's really like a village of tennis, like the global village of tennis, where you're really in this like little town, everybody, right. the players, the coaches, the media, for more than two weeks, you're on top of each other. Yeah. It, it's almost like a family reunion for tennis every summer, isn't it? Everybody wants to go to Wimbledon. You know, that's like when you when you retire. I mean, obviously, we, we're lucky enough to do it in the broadcast business. But people that were players or around the game and maybe they've moved on in their life, they, they always want to come back to Wimbledon for that reason, because it's like the community of tennis. You can walk from the town, from the village, and it's like you walk down this hill and you're literally in this kind of suburban village, uh, very English. And then all of a sudden, there's just this massive facility that is the All England Club. And it's like Never Never Land. It's so quiet. The grass courts, like there's no, you don't hear the sound as much of the ball bouncing, right? You just hear the sound of the ball being struck mm. off the strings of the racket. So it's just everything about it is, uh, is amazing. I hope there's some drama on the court. I hope there's some competitiveness because Djokovic is, is such a solid favorite on the men's side. And he's a much bigger favorite at Wimbledon now, Jeremy, than any other tournament because he's so good on grass. He's so comfortable on that court and that surface. And because there's so few other guys that are good on grass right now. Mm. And that makes him a bigger favorite at Wimbledon than any other tournament in the world. Around the 4th of July, the sports calendar boasts something for just about everyone. There is, of course, the iconic Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, which evokes a peculiar and fitting sense of over-the-top Americana. There's plenty of baseball, too, a bit more traditional sports fare. But for those seeking something more highbrow, there is, of course, Wimbledon. So today, Patrick McEnroe joins us ahead of his trip across the pond to revel in the pomp and circumstance and to share with us what we should expect to see at center court in the finals this year. 
I'm Jeremy Schapp. It's Friday, June 30th. This is ESPN Daily. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. You know, when we talk about Novak Djokovic, right, we're talking about a guy who now stands alone at the top with 23 Grand Slam singles titles. That's the most ever in men's tennis. He broke the tie at Roland Garros uh, with Rafael Nadal. There is a new grandmaster in men's tennis. He's 36, but again, he's halfway to a grand slam, winning all right. four in the same year. Now, when we talk about legacy and history, how much separation has Novak Djokovic already created? And how much do you see him continuing to create? Let's say if he wins this Wimbledon, as he's heavily favored to do, if he completes right. this Grand Slam, if he just keeps rolling. Well, he's distanced himself by a little bit, not a ton at the moment. But if you look at all the numbers, not just the majors, that's obviously the most important number. But head to head, you know, he's got the slight edge over Nadal. He's got the edge over Roger. Masters 1000, all the other numbers, he's also slightly ahead. Now, he's got a chance to go significantly ahead. We heard from Federer a week or so after uh, he won the won that French Open a couple weeks ago. And, and Roger said, look, there's no reason he can't get close to 30. I thought what Novak did is incredible. You know, years, I mean, I remember when I came on tour and Pete uh, Sampras reached 14, we thought that, okay, that one was going to stay forever. Then I went to 15. I eventually, I think, ended up at 17. And then we pushed each other to 20. I don't remember who was first. Uh, and then um, Rafa pushed it to 22, I believe. And then now Novak pushed it to 23. And he looks like he's going to keep on doing that for a long time still to come, which is great. And I wish him all the best. He's 36, still in, in phenomenal shape. He's the hardest guy to beat in best of five uh, on any surface, but particularly grass. So... I don't think there's a debate at the moment. If they all stop now, you're going to have to say Djokovic is, is the greatest male player of all time. Now, other people might say, well, Roger was the most fun to watch and he was a, you know most graceful. That's all true. And that he's a, maybe did more for tennis because of his who he is. And, and Rafa, well, if he had been healthy for all these, he missed so many tournaments because he was injured. Well, that's part of greatness, right? Part of being great is the longevity and being able to compete year in, year out. So to me, it's obviously Djokovic. He can end up with a lot more, but I don't think it's like, don't just pencil it in. One last point about Djokovic. You mentioned what he's done the last couple of years. In all the Grand Slam tournaments he's won in the last two years, but he also missed, what was it, two, three 
Not because of injury. He's missed three. He missed uh, the Australian because he got deported. Right. And you were up late at night with us talking yep. about it. Uh, yep. You were up on CNN and ESPN yep. talking about it. And that that yep. remarkable drama unfolded. And then he missed uh, last year's USO because he wasn't vaccinated. He played the year before and remember lost. That was when he was going for the slam loss to Medvedev in the final. Right. And then the year before that, the pandemic year, he got defaulted. He slammed the ball in frustration, hit the lineswoman in the throat and got defaulted. I want to turn out to that bizarre moment at the U.S. Open that so many are talking about. Top-ranked tennis superstar Novak Djokovic abruptly disqualified from the tournament after he hit a ball toward the backboard and struck a line judge in the throat. You know this stuff much better than I do, but has any great player had such a tumultuous couple of years for various reasons? And, and by the way, you know, it's not as if it's over, right? There was the political statement a couple of weeks ago about Kosovo. Right. Serbia. I mean, he is consistently controversial. He's done things that have limited his opportunities right. to win and accumulate and amass more Grand Slam titles. How do you put the whole picture of Novak Djokovic into perspective? Who he is? You know, he's unique because uh, he plays with that chip on his shoulder and uh, it works for him. He's not afraid of being controversial. Like, he almost thrives on that. It's almost like he needs that. I'll tell you one quick story, Jeremy, which to me kind of highlighted it. When I was the Davis Cup captain, and early on in my career as a captain, we played against Serbia, in Serbia, in Belgrade, in February, right after the Australian Open. And Novak, I believe at that point, had won one major. He'd won one Australian Open, maybe two that's he like 2007, was, 2008. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he was three in the world. He was a solid number three. But what I learned in that experience of being there in that city was, was a couple of things. Number one, they don't like Americans, okay? Mm. There's been a lot of tension between Serbia and the U.S. going back to the early 90s. Exactly. Then, so you had a packed house in this indoor stadium. And not only were they anti-American, okay, but they were sending the message to Djokovic, like, in a way I've never felt before, like, you better not lose to these guys. You know, you go to France, you go to Spain, the people are, like, celebrating. You know, they're into it, but they're, like, enjoying it, right? Right. These people were pissed off. You could feel that tension. And Djokovic, he was under so much pressure from the public to, to make sure you don't lose to these Americans. You better not lose. So I, I could see where a lot of this comes from for him. The pressure that he's under. You know, now he's he's obviously, you know, the most famous. We had, we were, I was laughing a couple of shows I was on talking about uh, the other Joker, you know, that just won <laughs> the NBA championship. Yeah, Jokic. He's like, yeah, Jokic. He's like amazing, but Djokovic is like a, I mean, he's so far beyond that. You know, his popularity in Serbia is crazy. Well, Jokic said it himself. Somebody right. asked him a question after they won it. Like, so, you know, what's it like being the biggest hero in your country? He's like, me, I'm not even close. I mean, he said exactly what you're right. saying. So anyway, the point of me telling you that story is like, it, it gave me a sort of an insight into, into why he is who he is. He's led nothing to chance, right? Everything that he's done off the court with his, his diet, his, his training methods and so on has all to just like literally be the greatest of all time. 
And then he's got the tools behind it to, to do it. He has no weakness in his game. There's nothing technically wrong with any part of his game. Whereas you could say, you know, Roger, you could get it up high to his backhand. Rafa's his serve is not great. He's not a great returner. There's nothing about Djokovic's game that you can look at and mm. say it's not like textbook perfect. <laughs> and then he's learned how to use all of those things to deal with opponents like these other all-time greats to deal with surfaces and so on to where he's the most well-rounded tennis player the world has ever seen. And yet two years ago when he was trying to complete the Grand Slam to become the first man to do so since labor in 1969, it was Daniil Medvedev who stopped him in New York. And last year, Daniil Medvedev didn't play at Wimbledon, even though he was the number one player in the world at the time, because he's Russian. And Russian players and players from Belarus were not allowed to participate. They're back. Daniil Medvedev is back. What do you expect to see from him at this Wimbledon after a two-year absence? Not a lot. I don't see him winning. I mean, I'm not going to say he can't make a run because he's got a big serve. He just gives up way too much court. You know, he loves to stand like super far back which helps him on hard courts and he can sort of get away with it. In my opinion, he hasn't learned to play more consistently closer to the baseline and play that transition type tennis. I, I don't see it. I mean, obviously Alcaraz is, is a guy that could beat Djokovic. Kyrgios, if he were healthy, but he's not. The Australian, Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, he's got the most natural, actually, grass court game to be a threat, but... He's such a question mark because, you know, he's played one match all year and then he pulled out of these warm-up tournaments. So it's hard to see him out of nowhere just make a, a run like he did last year. He played a lot of tennis last year and played well. I just don't see it. I mean, Sinner, okay. Alcaraz, I mean, he's got the best shot. You know, you got the two Americans that are seated in the top 10, Fritz, Tiafo. I could see either one of those guys making a big run. Can I see... One of those those guys beating Djokovic at Wimbledon? No, I can't. I think Sebastian Corda in the long run. Also American. Another American that will end up being our best chance to win Wimbledon. But I don't think he's ready right now. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him make a big run too. It's been so long, Patrick. No American man has won a Grand Slam since Andy Roddick 20 years ago. Roddick, one serve away. I don't believe it. A kid that came here with his dad at age nine to see his first Open now will go up and father as the U.S. Open champion. Did you ever think that we could even, the possibility of that sentence being uttered Existed. Uh, I'm not surprised at the moment because... Uh, no, no, I mean, when you were growing up. When, when I was a kid, no. But, yeah. but in 20 years ago, I'm not surprised because the Europeans passed us by with their training methods uh, and also with the fact that tennis is the second or third biggest sport in most European countries. So when you're talking about guys like Djokovic, Nadal, even the younger guys coming up now like Runa, Sinner, Musetti, these guys are phenomenal athletes, mm. okay? Not just great tennis players. And the, to get to the top, you need both now. Back when I played, you know, I was a really good tennis player, but not a great athlete. So I got to top 30 in the world. Now it's much more difficult. Even a guy like Taylor Fritz, amazing tennis player, great ball striking ability, 
beautiful technique on all the shots, but he's not lightning fast. And Holger Runa is lightning fast. Carlos Alcaraz is lightning fast. Yannick Sinner, maybe not lightning fast, but real fast. And so <laughs> those are the guys that are getting to the top of the top. We're doing better now. Cord is a great athlete. He's a bigger guy. Tiafo is, is a, really a great athlete. His tennis technique is not as sound as Fritz, but he makes up for it in, in other ways. So I think we've got better youngsters coming. We've always had much better athletes, Jeremy, on the female side. We've fallen off a little bit recently, by the way. So there's a the concern now on the women's side because the rest of the world's catching up. Let's hold that thought for a second, Patrick, because when we come back, we do want to talk about what's happening on the women's, or as they say at Wimbledon, the ladies' side of the championship. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Anejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Patrick, you know, women's tennis, it's been kind of the opposite story in recent times from the men's game in the sense that we've had so many different women win Grand Slam titles. And then we've also had women who've seemed like they were on the precipice of dominating and for one reason or another ended up not dominating. Ash Barty retired. Naomi Osaka won four majors. And two years ago, it seemed as if she was going to be the next all-time great in women's tennis. And that right. hasn't happened. There have been, you know, uh, circumstances, injuries. Emma, Emma Raducanu. Emma Raducanu who had maybe the greatest- Comes out of the qualifying. Right, right. U.S. Open anybody's ever had in 2021, and now she's injured. Iga Sviantek has been consistently great the last couple of years, but not at this tournament. Right. So, so when you look at the women's draw right now, what do you see? 
Well, I think there's three players now that have distanced themselves. Sviantek, Ribakina, who won it last year, didn't get the points for it because of the, the ban of the Russian and Belarusian players. And then Sabalenka, who's Belarusian and didn't get, get to play last year and has played well a couple of years ago. She made the final, I believe. Uh, and of course, then she won her first major this year in Australia. So if you look at what's happened in the last 12 months. Yeah, and just to be clear, so people understand. So Sabalenka is from Belarus. Yes. Rubikina yeah. plays for Kazakhstan, but she lives in Moscow and was raised in Russia. But so she got to play last year because she's from Kazakhstan. But to punish Wimbledon for banning the players from Belarus and Russia, the ATP and WTA did not award points for anything that happened in the tournament last year. I just, you know, for, for those who weren't following closely. Right. First of all, I'm glad that they're allowing them back because I thought it was a mistake last year. It was the only tournament on the planet that didn't allow uh, those players to play. I thought it was a mistake. And I think Wimbledon realized in the aftermath that it was a mistake. So uh, I think it's good for tennis. The players are back. Uh, but the other point that we're talking about is the fact that you've got these three. And I think Sviantek's going to win Wimbledon. Maybe not this year, but I think she's too good of an athlete. You know, she's a great ball striker. She's the best athlete by far on the women's tour. She plays like Djokovic with her movement, sliding out to the backhand, sliding to the forehand. I mean, Kim Clijsters was a great, she was sort of the first um, female player to really do that, that power slide. Obviously, Serena was able to do it too. But Sviantek just does it so effortlessly. And she just does it consistently. And she had that long, long winning streak going into Wimbledon last year. I think he got up to like 39 matches. Right. But she lost in the round of 32 and in the third round. And the year before, she lost in the fourth round, the round of 16. She's not going to be like, the, I think, an all-time grass court player. She needs a little bit of time, usually, on her shots. That's why she's so good on clay. She hits the ball with more... Uh, RPMs, which are revolutions per minute, which means she can basically hit with more topspin than any other female player out there. She's got a very good serve. She's decent around the net. And I just think as she gets more comfortable, mm. she's too good of a player not to win Wimbledon. Now, that being said, Rabakina has a bigger game. She hits the ball bigger. She's a big, big server. That's why she won last year. She can hurt you off both wings. She's like the more prototypical great female player. Big serve, can bang the ball, great returner. If you have a weak serve, she's going to punish you. So she can out-hit Sviantek, and so can Sabalenka to a certain extent. I think Rybakina is a smoother player. Sabalenka is more just kind of brute force and aggression, which she does really well. But the three of them, if you just look at the points and the rankings and the results, They've really distanced themselves from the pack. Now, that doesn't mm. mean that you can't have a Coco Goff or a Jess Pagula, the top two Americans, make a push, and you've got other young Russians and Czech players. There's still that d decent chance that someone who's ranked between 10 and 30 could win the tournament, whereas that's, there's almost no chance that's going to happen on the men's side. Let's talk about Coco Goff. Well, she's had a down year for her. You know, this year, she's still young. She's a great competitor, and she tries her butt off every time, which that's worth a lot uh, when you're as great of an athlete as she is. One of the best two-handed backhands in the game. 
But the forehand's a liability. You can't say that about these other top players, right? How, how does she fix it? I mean, she's 19. Well, she may need a few months off. Sometimes it's good. It, it's a kind of shot that's just, it's too big of a swing. She's got an extreme grip. So it's possible that she could just kind of tinker with it. The problem is it, it, it tends to break down at some point. And when you're playing against the best players in the biggest spots, and there's a chance that can happen, that's not a good way to go into these types of matches. And, and her second serve also is a little bit suspect. Despite the fact that she's got a big first serve, her second is not that reliable. Now, I do think at Wimbledon, because of her speed, because the points aren't as long generally, she could probably hide the forehand a little better. If she just gets a little confidence going, she feels like she can hit it well, she's got a shot to make a big run. I think Pagula, Jess Pagula who's still the highest-ranked American, can also make a run. I don't know if she can win it, but she hits the ball clean. She takes the ball early. She's a great competitor. She doesn't have, like, a weakness per se. She's just not as great of an athlete as Coco, and she doesn't hit the ball quite as big. But she's solid, and you have to beat her. But again, uh, those three that I mentioned, they play their best, and Pagula's at her best. Pagula's going to lose. There is a five-time champion in the women's draw, but she's now 43 years old. Uh, there have been some signs of a revival from Venus on the court in the last couple of weeks, some nice wins. But, you know, when, when she's playing there and you're watching her next week, Patrick, what thoughts are going to be going through your head? It's going to be amazing to just watch her be out there, you know. And uh, as you said, I watched her. She had a good win over Georgie, who's a, a tough player. A close match that she lost to Ostapenko, who to me is a player that could go deep at Wimbledon. And, you know, late in the match, it was a long, really long match. She was like almost on one leg, like hobbling around. So you, a couple of things go through my mind, Jeremy. One is like unbelievable that she's doing, like she's still out there. And then I have to be honest, part of me is like, why is she doing this? You know, she's an all-time great. She has no she's ranking. She's ranked 550-something, right? Right. And, yeah. and she's not playing to win the tournament, but you have to admire the fact that as an all-time great, she just loves to play. Obviously, why else would she be doing it? She likes to play. She likes to compete. And she always handles herself with unbelievable class. Obviously, she's spoken out over the years about women's rights and, and, and specifically in, in tennis as prize money. She, she called out Wimbledon, you know, years ago. So I love that she steps up and that she's been a leader in that sense. I hope she can win a couple of matches. And it's funny because when they started out, you know, Richard Williams, the dad, was like, oh, my girls are going to retire when they're in their 20s and go on and do other stuff. And they ended up playing longer than anyone else. And it'd be, be, be an all-time Serena, the all-time great. And, and Venus still plugging away out there trying to trying to compete. So we would love it if she could win a couple of matches and, and play on center court one more time. I'm sure everybody at ESPN would love that. Before we let you go, Patrick, you're going to head over to London. When you get to Wimbledon Village, SW19, as they call it, the postal code. <laughs> right. What's, what's first for you? Are you going to go get the strawberries and cream, the Pim's Cup? Or are you going to go to that sushi place, sushi and sticks? Like, what's your what's your <laughs> thing? What's your first stop? My first stop is um, to go walk into town, get my coffee in the morning. And what I look forward to, as I said in the beginning of this, and thank you again for having me on, 
Um, I will walk around the grounds on Sunday because I'll get there in the afternoon. Once I'm done with my ESPN duties, I'm going to take it in. There's always something a little different. There's always the things that you expect, you know, the purple and the green, the colors, the flowers. But there's always something a little different, a little better. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. And I'm going to be fired up come Monday morning. It'll be early our time in New York, you know, 11 or noon in London at Wimbledon. And uh, let's go. Let's get it on. I'll miss you over there. You've been there a few times with us. We love having you, Jeremy. I, so I didn't make the cut. Uh, I just I, didn't make the I, cut. I will miss you this year, and you'll be enjoying yourself. Uh, the strawberries, I got to hold off too much on the cream. You know, I'm trying to, uh, you know, it's not it's getting so good, easier, though. Jeremy, as we get older. See, so, uh, yeah, you're doing better than I am, though. You know, a lot of things are overrated. The strawberries and cream is not overrated. It's really great. Really good. Uh, Patrick, love talk to you as always. Thank you. And please uh, buy Willie Weinbaum a pint for me when you're over there. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe two for all he does for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Patrick. I'm Jeremy Schapp. This has been ESPN Daily. Our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andre Soto, Andy Tennant, and Aaron Vale. Special thanks this week to Deontay Epps and Jackson Agello. We'll talk to you Monday.